Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, and welcome to NJSBA's podcast program, Conversations on uh, New Jersey Education. Uh, today, we'll be having a discussion on some of the issues uh, being discussed in the halls of Trenton in the legislature. Actually, I, I'll correct myself. It's not being discussed in the halls of Trenton. It's being in the, discussed in the virtual halls of Trenton, uh, and that may impact school districts as they move down the line. Uh, if you want to participate in our conversation, uh, all you have to do is dial one Three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four, and just press one, and that will indicate to Robin that she you have a question, and she will get your name and pass it on to me. Or you can just type the question in um, in the chat room, and I'll pass it on to our two guests. Our guest today is uh, John Burns, who's a counsel for uh, New Jersey School Board Association. He uh, is a counsel in both the uh, the legal department, but today he's here as part of the governmental relations department. Uh, welcome, John. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Good to have you. Uh, and also uh, the Director of Governmental Relations, Mike Francic. Uh, welcome, Mike. Hi, Ray. Thanks for having me on. Okay. So uh, th- it seems like things are always changing pretty fast. Uh, but one of the things we discussed last week, and I still know people have issues on uh, I think this will be you, Mike, um, a3902. There is no Senate companion, but anything, any insight that you can give us on that bill as you move forward? Well, we've been working with people in the Senate Majority Office on some proposed amendments, and I think that um, the consensus after a lengthy conversation yesterday was that this legislation is not something that they really want to do but there may be emergent situations where some local governments are having tax collection issues. And we've worked with people on the Senate majority staff to assure that regardless of what happens, municipalities will be ultimately required to make good on their commitments to school districts. Um, The director of local government services is being given in theory, if the legislation passes both houses and gets to the governor, the extraordinary authority to allow some local governments to to mitigate or or reduce the transmission of tax collections to other governmental entities. We've asked for a specific amendment that says that if a municipality is having trouble and the director of local government intervenes, the director of local government shall require that the municipal governing body issue short-term notes to provide the revenue so that school districts do not miss any any payments. So we're hopeful that if the legislation passes, and, and that's still a question, that there will be no no reduction in cash flow to districts, although the municipalities who are in an extraordinary situation may have to issue additional 
tax anticipation notes or do some other kind of commercial borrowing to make good on their commitments to school districts. Uh, and I, I would assume that since it's in the Senate and they're putting amendments in it, it has to go back to the Assembly uh, at that point. So that there is some correct. time on that. Right, um, that's correct. So if a district does have to do this, how, how would they pay for it? Would they, if, if we don't get the amendments, they would have to take out the, the loan themselves if they, uh, if they don't receive that payment? Uh, and there's, there's no consensus on the part of the legislature now about this. I've heard from at least some Senate offices that there are other components of the bill having to do with permitting requirements, et cetera, that they want to give the local government services director the authority to deal with, but they may not have an appetite to, to address limiting tax payments in any way. That said, we haven't seen a final Senate bill, and the Senate hasn't scheduled any sessions to deliberate on this. So. Um, there's, there's a lot more questions than there are answers, but officially nothing has happened yet. And uh, I've, I've been asked this question a few times. Uh, I know the answers, but uh, a lot of people say, where does NJEA stand uh, on this issue? And, and the other education groups, and I would assume that they're all in, we're in lockstep with all the other education groups on this. Yeah, I think there's a consensus among the various education associations that this is not good business for local boards of education. Um, there is no, there's no sort of precedent for delaying or reducing the tax payments due to local districts, and we don't want to start this now. Okay. Uh, so uh, if our members uh, want, we have information on our website if they want to get, like, uh, draft resolutions and letters to the um, – Legislature, there's information there uh, on our website, correct? Correct. Yep. All right. And I just want to reemphasize re one thing. So this is really to help some municipalities that are in distress, maybe that because their tax collections, property tax collections are down. Yeah, I, I, I can't uh, reiterate or underscore enough that the, the my understanding in talking to people on the legislative side is that this is not something that they necessarily want to do, but they want to give the local government services director some authority to step in in emergent situations. And I think it needs to be abundantly clear that the intent of this legislation isn't to unilaterally change the tax collection methodology for every municipality in the state. This would only kick in when the local government services director felt the need to intercede in a municipal tax collection effort because there are some emergent problems. Most likely there will be some municipalities who find themselves in, in, in a difficult situation, but this will be the exception, not the rule. And for most districts, even if this legislation were to pass, there's unlikely to be any significant change in the current process. I think that's really important. When we talked to Senate staff yesterday, they agreed with me that the intention here isn't to unilaterally change the process, but to create an option for the local government services director for those specific emergent situations. We're in uncharted territory here with respect to, to what's going on in society generally, and the thought process is that they want to provide 
the, the people on the executive branch the ability to move quickly as necessary and not have to then go back to the legislature and wait for a process to ensue so that if there is an emergency and it needs to be addressed, they have the authority to deal with it as it emerges. Okay. Uh, I think the uncharted territory and unprecedented pres times is something that we'll be saying a lot in uh, uh, it's difficult times. Um, we're speaking with Mike Vansick and uh, John Burns from NJSBA's Governmental Relations Department. If you have a question, particularly if you have one on uh, A3902, type it in now or uh, press 1 if you're on the line or dial 1-347-989-8904 and press 1, and that will indicate to Robin that you have a question. Um, I'm going to move to a, another thing that just happened. Um, John, I want to talk about special ed. Um, one of the difficulties that a lot of districts found uh, going to virtual, uh, the students that may be some of the hardest to deal with would be the, the special ed population. I know the state board met on it, and I think the legislature even has a bill on this. Do you want to talk about what the state board action was? Certainly. Um, the state board uh, met uh, on Wednesday, this past Wednesday, uh, and they passed an emergency uh, regulation uh, specifically permitting uh, the delivery of special education services uh, through um, electronic communications, virtual or other online platforms. Um, and what this does is this then uh, gives uh, school districts uh, the specific authority uh, to uh, deliver these programs virtually um, where it's possible to do so. Uh, so that, that way the um, uh, the services that uh, these students need uh, can continue to be provided. And um, th and that's effective immediately. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and, and it'll be and it'll be effective uh, throughout the uh, this time of uh, state emergency. So I had a couple of questions that people had. Uh, is there guidelines in there? Some this would a few people ask as to what that looks like when they do virtual, like with speech. Is there any guidelines, or is the DOE going to have to come up with certain things? Um, well, certainly, um, you know, districts can, well, first of all, rely on their um, special education services director or child study team director. And um, then while there was no mention of guidance coming out, certainly, um, if districts have any questions, they can certainly contact um, their uh, executive county superintendent or, or the department um, for additional guidance on uh, exactly how um, uh, to do this uh, in a way that would satisfy the student's uh, individual education plan. Uh, when you talked about the uh... – IEP just now. So if districts feel they obviously that they can't really get to those IEPs the way that they really want to uh, during this time period and just reemphasizing this, the virtual option is, I guess, the only option. Well, um, I, I mean, really, that, that's, that's really up to, up to districts um, in terms of how they want to do that. Certainly in this time where we're all um, uh, in a place where we're asked to stay home, 
um, to deliver those services um, uh, by actually having staff uh, come to individuals' houses uh, may be near impossible at this point um, because of of the um, state of emergency that we're in. Um, But certainly for each student, uh, the district should be consulting with um, their staff and with their um, legal staff and also with the parents because keep in mind this, parents are a member of the IEP team. And so they should also be consulted with regard to uh, the best way to deliver these services. Uh, the, the, the unstated goal here is to try and continue to the, to the maximum extent possible those services that special ed students need. Okay. All right. That was pretty straightforward then. Um, I'm, I'm going to have another question for you on something else, uh, but I, I need to get to the state budget. Uh, Mike, uh, this week uh, the governor uh, and the legislative, legislative leaders want to push back uh, the budget deadline for the state because uh, uh, they also pushed back when the income tax would be collected uh, from April 15th to July 15th. So what are some of the issues that you see with that, or and why did they push it back to July 15th? I guess that we should start with that. Well, I, I, it's unclear why they did it, except that they think that not everybody is going to be ready to make their payments by April 15th. That said, um, it gives them some additional time to hash out what revenues will be, not so much for the balance of this year, but for the fiscal year that 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 starts sometime after July, um, that said, it's unclear what the ultimate impacts are going to be. Um, the 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 consensus that was reached reflects the idea that that everybody believes we need to take some extraordinary action to delay implementation of a budget for the next cycle until we have a clearer picture of what revenue projections might look like. That said, um, there are a host of questions that, that, that come up, and I think that um, in the conversations I've had thus far, it's pretty clear that this isn't just going to happen by magic. There will be legislation to, to redo the dates for the tax collection, and there will be legislation that will allow the state to do some type of an interim budget for the period between July 1st and September 30th. Um, the, the SFRA says that the state shall make school aid payments in 20 equal installments, that is two times a month, beginning in September. So if they push the state budget back to September 30th, um, what school aid payments do they make in September? Are they school aid payments that are predicated on the current year spending plan, or are they school aid payments that that are predicated on what the governor proposed in February, or does he have time now to revise that, that proposal that he sent to the legislature, and will they make any payments in September, or will they push things back to September 30th? That's all up in the air right now, and we hope within the next several weeks 
to have more information in the form of legislation that will flesh out a lot of this stuff. But right now we have a lot more questions than we have answers for. Uh, that goes without saying. And uh, so one of the questions that someone had passed on to me and uh, was how do they put their budget together now, the school budget, uh, if they they're not really sure their state aid numbers that they were given uh you know, in February, uh, they're very unsure about that. Uh, is there any discussion or any thought of moving the the board's budget deadline back? And can they have a temporary budget? I'm not even sure. Right now, there's been no change to the budget calendar for local boards. So the, most of their, their submission dates have come and gone. Um, right. I, I'm operating under the presumption that until somebody tells us otherwise, districts should presume that their budget for next year is going to be based on the school aid numbers that they got when the governor sent those things out at the end of February. Um, if there is going to be a revision, we'll need to know relatively quickly. Um, keep in mind there's another component here that, that, that makes things that much more complicated. Specifically, most municipal governing bodies, and this goes back to the conversation about 3902, operate on a calendar cycle. And so the third quarter tax bill, the bill that, that, that people get in August, generally represents the adjustments because the first two quarters of the year, they've operated on the, on the assumption that the state will provide X amount of money for the balance of their calendar cycle beginning in July. If the state pushes back their deliberations into September, um, the, 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 the biggest question is going to be, do they delay tax calculations? Do assessors make some assumptions about third quarter tax bills based on what the governor put in his budget? Or do they or do, they do something different? And are those, those tax bills that would go out in the beginning of, of August modified in some way? I, I'm not saying that they will be, and I don't think that they will. A, a lot of gray area here because um, that, that conversation is going to drive a lot of discussions about the, the revenue streams to, to local governments and, and ultimately to school districts. Um, we just have to wait and see. I hope that there will be in the, in the enabling legislation something that addresses some of these issues because typically the tax calendar, as much as, any, <clears throat> as much as anything else, has driven a lot of conversations about changes in the state budget and what makes sense and what doesn't. So um, we're just going to have to wait and see. But unless I'm completely wrong, school districts have already had to submit budgets to their uh, county offices for review predicated yes. on numbers they got in February. So uh, uh, nobody's told me that there's any intention of changing those school aid numbers. Whether or not they defer and make changes moving forward remains to be seen, and a lot of it's going to have to do with what the state's new revenue assumptions look like. The governor put together a budget in February based on some assumptions for the, for the first half of, of, of fiscal year 2020. Um, fiscal year 2021 
obviously is going to look a lot different than everybody thought it was going to look six months ago. How is that materially going to change some of the governor's revenue assumptions? I think that's why they want the extra time, but, but the permutations of those conversations and how they impact school districts, we won't know quite yet. Uh, the reason and, uh, someone had asked me, and I know there's a question in the chat room too, uh, they have submitted to the uh, their budgets, but they haven't, you know, they still have the public hearings. Um, so uh, those still have to be held. Uh, but I guess what the concern that someone had is they have to make personnel decisions by May 15th. And right. they would prefer to know if there's going to be a change because the state has on it. I think they did it in um, 2009. They uh, changed the state aid numbers uh, once they had given them to the district. So the state can change those numbers, correct? The, the, the numbers that yeah, they I mean, resolved by them in February. The governor's budget proposal is just that, a proposal. The Appropriations Act that's typically passed sometime between – the last day of June and the first day of July is the final set of numbers. Historically, with, with few exceptions, obviously those have happened recently, the school aid numbers have remained unchanged. My suspicion is that for the sake of continuity, et cetera, since the increase in school aid was, was substantial, it was 206 or 208 million, but it wasn't a giant number. It wasn't a billion dollars. Um, I, I, I'm presuming the state will be able to make good on that, that, that set of projections. But we'll need to know, obviously, and, and I think this is an issue that we will press on, um, with some sense of certainty, notwithstanding the delay, if districts should be anticipating a lower number and have to make newly thought out personnel decisions, and, and, and identify to, to those individuals who may not get contracts renewed, et cetera. This is going to have to happen rather quickly. Um, mm -hmm. We have about six weeks. So I would presume that within that time period, there will be enough of an opportunity for the legislature and the governor to figure out, in this particular case, what they're going to do. They, they need to have a conversation about it anyway because it's a substantially large part of the budget. And, and I think the quicker they figure this part out, the easier it may be for them to, to deal with the other components. Um, and I heard the governor saying, and you kind of alluded to this before, um, the state doesn't really know what their forecast is going to be financially until September, which is one of the reasons they pushed it back. Um, September is pretty late. Um, so that la uh could they make adjustments over the summer too? I mean, I, I, I'm assuming things are – I'm jumping to a conclusion that things probably are not looking rosy uh, because they wouldn't have gone to something like this. So um, can they make changes to the numbers even later in the year, like in, say, in the summer? They may have to. I think when you think about the normal state fiscal cycle – the, the, the State Appropriations Act is passed at the, at the end of one fiscal year and the beginning of the next. And the state then has to make some pretty substantial payments. The, the municipalities, like I said before, operate on the first half of the year on revenues they collect from property taxes. 
And the second half of the year adds in all the state aid that municipalities have assumed would be forthcoming, and they have to make probably somewhere in the neighborhood of $2 billion of payments to municipalities and counties between the beginning of July and the, and the end of December. In addition, in September, they have to start making some pretty substantial school aid payments. So from a revenue perspective, the state's first quarter is really the third quarter of the, of the tax calendar year. And in that first quarter, the state hasn't collected a whole lot of revenues because the two biggest revenues are the sales and income taxes. The sales taxes generally peak at the end of the second quarter after the holiday shopping season. And the income tax, which is the biggest revenue, really peaks at the end of the third quarter, sometime around now when people traditionally who owe money make their tax payments. So earlier on in the year, the state has historically borrowed money so that they have the cash flow to meet their state aid payments. Um, another big issue that goes to revenues on the front end of the state's fiscal year are the monies that are generated from tourism. I can't imagine that tourism proceeds are going to be at an all-time high this year. In fact, I would imagine that they would take quite a hit, considering that some people, either because they don't have the resources because they've taken financial hits, or <clears throat> because they don't have the desire to travel and, and spend time away from home uh, down at the shore, um, is going to have some impact on the state's um, tourism economy, which is a big revenue raiser for the state. So all these things have yet to play out. So it's it's possible to speculate, but that's all it is right now is speculation. And they're going to need time probably well into July and, and August to figure out what things might look like before they finalize any real budget, which is why they need to, to go to September 30th. So a lot of moving parts here. And um, like I said, this is territory that we've never been in before. And so uh, the first order of business is to make sure that we can somehow restart the state's economy. How long is that going to take? It's unclear. And, and it may be that for a while after everybody's sort of back to where they were weeks before we had this giant shutdown, we're still not going to be operating on all cylinders. So it's going to take a while to, to revise projections for the next fiscal year. Um, and, and so everybody's going to have to be patient and make the most logical decisions we can make in the interim based on what common sense tells us we should be doing. It's not going to be easy. I have a question. I have to flip back uh, to John for this question because it was on special ed. But we're speaking with John Burns and uh, Mike Rancic from NJSBA's Governmental Relations Department. If you have a question, particularly now on the budget, please type it in or press 1, and Robin will get your name, and uh, well, I'll pass the question on. Uh, John, uh, the, someone asked in the in the chat room: Is there any guidance regarding IEP annual reviews? How they should be done? Um, no, there isn't. the uh, The regulation uh, just focuses on on the delivery of services. Um, with regard to IEPs and annual reviews, um, you know, certainly there has been a lot of um, school district work done uh, via uh, teleconferences and, and those kinds of platforms. Um, uh, and certainly um, 
the IEP team may want to take advantage of that, but what I would do with that question is um, uh, the um, persons involved really should speak with uh, either the child study team director um, or the uh, executive county superintendent regarding whether or not there are any specific requirements for holding the, holding the IEP in a virtual fashion. Yeah, and so most, and you and I did a podcast actually on remote meetings and things change after we did, even did that meeting, but uh, it looks like all meetings will have to be almost completely virtual. Uh, so it's just finding a new way to do the same meeting that you did in person virtually, uh, correct? Whether it's this or personal right. meetings and, or whatever it's going to be. I mean, because if, if, um, if you're having a virtual IEP meeting, uh, one of the questions is going to be, well, because we're talking about student issues, uh, how, how do we make sure that we're maintaining confidentiality with regard to uh, the matters that are being discussed? Um, uh, one of the other issues is to make sure that um, everyone has copies of the relevant documents um, uh, ahead of time, and I, I would assume electronically, uh, so that um, all members of the team, including the parents, um, and, and in those instances where there are students um, that are participating in the IEPs, that everyone has uh, access to those do documents so uh, therefore they can really have a meaningful IEP meeting. Okay, uh, just in meetings in general, the board, regular board meeting, I should say, um, you can't, I mean, I know you and I did a podcast a couple of weeks ago and then I think uh, the Department of Community Affairs then put out another notice, probably two days later, um, that there was the, uh, dispute as to whether you could have have to have a physical location for people to go to you they're kind of giving the the indication now that you can do that the, they want virtual meetings yes yes the the guidance from um uh the division of local government services in the department of community affairs is that um uh meetings be held virtually and that there uh not be a um a physical location where where people uh, uh, would meet, um, and that uh, these things just be done in a virtual fashion. Okay, and then the easy and the thing that they always have to remember is they have to still follow the Open Public Meetings Act. Yes. Yes. Okay, uh, Mike. I'm going to go back to you a little bit. Uh, so, what should uh, boards and uh, administrations be doing at this time period? Uh, you know, should they be maybe looking at their budget in case they do get a cut? Uh, should they be t contacting their, you know, we have, I know there are a lot of them are contacting the legislator on 3902, but what should they be doing and watching as we move forward on the, the state budget? I, I think it, it, it's prudent to assume that the state is going to have to definitely revise their revenue projections into the next year based on changes to the economy that, that everybody's been hearing about on a daily basis. Um, I, I guess, and this is, this is just an idea, it's, it's, not a, it's not a factual, you should do this kind of statement, but I, I would suggest that 
there should be, and, and I'm sure that a lot of BAs and superintendents have already thought about this, a kind of a what-if budget. What if, what if revenues were flat? What if, what if school aid did not increase by 200 plus million next year? What would that mean to your respective uh, uh, school district operations? Um, and also, um, what would that mean with regard to what happens on that magic date of May 15th when those notices need to be made to, to employees who may not be renewed? Um, that, that's the, the most logical advice I can give at the moment. Absent some, some hard copy of a bill that formally extends the budget to September 30th and hopefully addresses some of the questions we've raised here, um, I, I think it, it, it would be fair to have a plan B that would be a, a flat, flat school aid moving into the next cycle. And, and, and whatever that, that means for for local boards, I think that would be something that that, that they should consider. Oh, okay, and and they probably should they communicate to the legislators or others that you know about the May fifteenth dead uh, date. That that's one of the things that the legislators may not have in their mind. That you know, we have to make these decisions relatively soon. We have to give these people you know notice. Is that something that they should just let their legislators yeah, know I about? Think, I, I think they should, but I also think they should be working with their respective county offices to forward these kinds of questions with the expectation that DOE will have to weigh in here at some point. Um, it, it may be that, that as part of the, the cooperation between the legislature and the executive branch, um, DOE might have to advise through the governor's office to the legislature some things that might have to be injected into legislation in order to make this workable for the next several months. So <clears throat> don't forget to, to, to be in contact with people at the department. Whether or not they can answer your questions, they may not be able to, but they should know what the questions are. Um, and, and I'm sure that at some point there'll be a general clearinghouse where the, the most relevant issues have to be addressed. And, and in the context of, of the process, as I understand it now, a lot of the things that are happening with the legislature are happening jointly with the executive branch where there's a discussion about things we need to do moving forward. And, and to the extent that, that superintendents and BAs and local boards are reaching out to their county offices and raising questions and, and making observations about things that are unclear, it can only help to inform a bigger process. Uh, and two final thoughts. Uh, we, we, I talked about this last week with uh, Jonathan and Chris, uh, but I just want to reiterate it, I guess, so that if we have some new listeners and they haven't listened, all the lobbying and all the discussions and the votings have been virtual for the legislature uh, and for people involved like yourself and NJA and all the other lobbying groups. So it, it, everyone's virtual at this point. Correct. Oh, okay. And um, it seems to me, at least probably because it's an emergency and there, it seems like the, the communication we talked about for a couple of years the communication between the, the executive branch and the legislature didn't seem as good, but it, maybe it was something 
bad had it happened before it got better, but they did um it seems like they're in more communication now between the the legislature and the and the executive branch yeah, I would agree with that right because there's it, 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 it's not that there was ever an intentional decision not to communicate, but now more than ever the the the, the well-being of the state and its citizens is, is paramount in everybody's mind, including the people on the executive and legislative sides. Nobody wants us to be in this situation, but we also all want to make sure that we're all doing our best to address emergent problems, not as Band-Aids, but rather as, as opportunities to, to make things as good as we can make them during these pretty difficult times. Yeah, and it looks like it's bipartisan too. At least, at least the if you a thirty nine hundred two is any indication that uh, everyone's taking all these uh, and rightfully so they're taking the issues very seriously and they really just want to get through this dire emergency. Yep, absolutely. Okay, uh, John, uh, we're coming towards the end of the program. Do you have any other final thoughts on either special education or remote me- meetings or learning? We didn't really talk about remote learning, but. Well, I would just say this. Number one, uh, it's going to require um, uh, patience on on everyone's part uh, to make sure that the technology works correctly uh, and that the, the services are delivered uh in a uh, uh, timely fashion, um, and I think that's really one of the, uh, the biggest challenges. Uh, we all have the uh, great intent of what it is we wanted to do for our students, and the question is how do we uh, uh, translate that intent into something that we can do in in a world where we have to do everything um, uh, via technology. Okay, and any final thoughts from you, Mike, on anything that they should should be watching or doing uh, during these times? No, I mean, I think that we all have to send our, our best wishes to our leaders and, and our prayers that that they have the wisdom that they need to do what it is they need to do to make, to make things palatable for all of us. I don't think everything is going to be easy, and we can all be armchair quarterbacks and sit here and and second guess, but I think it's incumbent upon all of us, like I said, to use the formal lines of communication to express concerns and ideas and anything for the good of the order that can make this work for everybody. Uh, That's that's our our collective job at the moment. Okay. I'd like to thank uh, Mike and John for joining me on this podcast program. I hope you found it informative. Just to let you know, we're going to try to give these podcast updates every Friday the exception of Good Friday, just so that people, if you have questions and comments and you want to discuss it with our staff, uh, that gives you an opportunity to do so. Uh, We're just trying to keep you informed as best we can at New Jersey School Board Association. So I'd like to hope you enjoy the program. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, John. Thank you. Thank you, Ray. Thank you. Okay. And uh, everyone have a good day.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.